Here's Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 554. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is that the best predictor of a a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to talk about rivers, monkeys, (laughs) jumping in rivers, (laughs) Not jumping in rivers? Correct. Studying rivers? Correct. Am I teasing it good enough for you, sweetie? Well enough. Well enough? Whatever. Whatever, Russ. Um, But first, we... I don't know if that's like a good tease, because everyone's like, what are you talking about? Exactly. That's a tease. We're teasing them. It's good, deep self-awareness stuff. Well, that's another tease. Okay. Um, But first, uh, Zen Talk. We just did number 95? I don't know. Yeah, 95. So 96 is coming up. Um, And a few things that we've talked about on our last few podcasts. um, Our last few Zen Talks. I'm sorry, Zen Talks is screen time, newborns, depression, kids listening to rap, specific to the N-word. Well, what we talked about was um, we were discussing the book White Fragility last month. Um, And now we're heading into a new month. And what we told Team Zen is just like every issue in regards to parenting, race should stay on the table as far as a discussion, as far as something that needs to be integrated into our parent into our parenting. It's not a one-time discussion where we learn about white fragility and we read our books about how to be an anti-racist and then we completely move on. Mm. Like we have to learn how to make it a typical part of not only our educational experience, but of our communication with our kids. And so our discussion on the last Team Zen talk, you know, people had questions and we talked about the book, but we also said that going forward with Team Zen that um, if anyone ever has questions or commentary or just their own experiences when it comes to discussing race within the family, that we highly encourage that because that's for everybody listening. I was just um, writing about the fact recently that, you know, there are so many issues that we realize need to be integrated into our parenting, the discussion of education, the discussion of sex ed, the discussion of mental wellness, and race also needs to be integrated. We've, so many people I've run into, um, especially people who are white, we have this belief we need to shy away from that conversation. And I'm hoping that the last month has demonstrated why that's that's an error mm. that we need to um, first and foremost educate ourselves and continue to educate ourselves, pay attention to what's going on. And then when our kids bring things up, or even if they don't, uh, we bring up these conversations um, so this can be an ongoing discussion in our home. So um, if you are interested in being part of our team, uh, just go to zenparentingradio.com and click on join Team Zen. First month is free. After that, it's 25 bucks a are month. Are we still doing that? Yeah. Free month? Sure. Okay. Why I not? thought that was just for last yeah. month. No, it's just kind of removes one barrier from people checking it out. Okay. Just to see if you... And it, once you jump on, you have access to the previous 95 Zen Talks we've done because there's a private uh, podcast feed that you have in your podcast app on your phone and you get to scan through all the titles and see which one floats your boat and I timestamp it so you can fast forward exactly. Oh, like I have a problem with sibling rivalry in my household. So let's hear what the discussion was between Todd, Kathy, and another... Team Zen member. Yeah, you know what I kind of feel like Team Zen is like? It's a little more specific question 
like, like a Q&A. It's like a, yeah, it's like a Q&A. And it, so it gets really kind of to the heart of issues where I kind of feel like on Zen Parenting Radio, we discuss in gen, not only generalities, but we kind of, di- we get more philosophical. Yes. Whereas this is more specific. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, check it out. And then don't forget, uh, try Ben's group. We do a weekly virtual call every Wednesday night. If there's any guys out there listening, please check out tribemensgroup.org. Uh, sign up uh, for our email. We only send out once a week. And uh, we got a lot of different um, programming available. So you should check it out. All right. So are we ready to talk about the monkey? Let us do that. First of all, my stuffed animal growing up was a monkey. Yes. That has nothing to do with this discussion. I wonder where that monkey is these days. He's sitting in the rocking chair in our bedroom. Yes, he is. He's never far away from me. No, he's Monkey not. will be with me. Didn't something happen to you in college about monkey? What do you mean? Oh, Did you mean my friend's kidnapping monkey? Yeah. It wasn't funny. Did they think it was funny? They thought it was really funny. Did you think it was funny? No. I was very angry. So did they finally realize how angry you were? Yes. I was. I made it very well known that yeah. monkey is not to be messed with. Do not mess with the do monkey. Do not mess with my stuffed monkey. So here we go. So... What book are you reading? Okay, so The Book of Awakening, I talk about it a lot. It's Mark Nepo's book. He actually just put out another version, a 2020 version, mm. interestingly enough. Um, but I you know, I read it every day after I meditate, uh, and I have for however many years, so it's repetitive for yeah. me, which is good. Like I feel like when you're reading something, he writes poetry, and obviously it's dear, deeply spiritual, and again, talk about philosophical. Um, that So reading it, a number of times is actually very helpful. I at can least tell because I'm looking at the book right now and every single page seems like they are dog-eared. You <laughs> got yellow po- like post-it notes coming out of there <laughs> and then you bend the top left or right I corner know. of the page. This book has been very well loved. Like, you know, I just read that another version came out. I'm like, why would I want another version when no. I have this? So June 27th, which was a couple days ago now, if you're listening to this, one of my favorite um, passages. Passages, thank you, Todd. Was used on on June twenty seventh, and it's called "The Monkey in the River," and I love it because it's a Zen teaching, so mm. it's connected to Zen Parenting Radio. But every year when I read this one, I always get excited, and so I'm going to read it to you. Yes, you ready, everybody? Right. Let's hear some Zen teaching. It says, "It's called the Monkey in the River." It is said a great Zen teacher asked an initiate to sit by a stream until he heard all the water had to teach. After days of bending his mind around the scene, a small monkey happened by and, in one seeming bound of joy, splashed about in the stream. The initiate wept and returned to his teacher, who scolded him lovingly and said, the monkey heard, you just listened. Mm. Now, the best part of that, you guys can take that and you know, dive deep into the understanding. Can I summarize what I just heard? Well, I wanted to with the language from here, because it's what we clap for. Sure, go ahead. So this is the best sentence. Every time I say this sentence, I have to clap. You ready? Mm -hmm. With the best of intentions, we often build false careers of studying the river without ever getting wet. It's the best. Say it one more time. With the best of intentions. Best of intentions. We often build false careers of studying. What does that mean, false careers? Like you're in the wrong business? Well, I mean, he's using career as like a a choice of life. False investments of time. A false career of studying the river without ever getting what we need. Every year when I read that one, I like clap out loud because it's so 
true. And again, Todd and I are going to discuss it. So if you're like, I don't understand why you like it so much, hopefully by the end of this podcast, you do. Um, but now you give your sentence of what you want that to mean. For some reason, I'm thinking of Mr. Miyagi right now. So, so little so, karate kid. So action. Mr. Miyagi and Daniel, Danielle, our little friend Danielle. Let's call him Daniel. Daniel's son. Daniel's son. Um, so Daniel's son. So Mr. Miyagi says, "Go by the river and learn everything that the river has to teach." Right? This he did w- in the movie. No. Oh, just making it up. That's oh, okay. what I thought of. Okay. So Daniel goes, sits on the riverbank, uh-huh. looking at it, looking at it. Then all of a sudden, this monkey jumps in. So then Daniel's son, I think you said wept. Yes, because he he said... I, so I want to yeah. like dig into why he wept. Okay. Like, was he like taken back by the joy that the monkey... And I'm probably taking this too literally. So then Daniel's son... So he, saw, he sees the monkey jump in, goes for a swim, having fun. Daniel's son goes back to Mr. Miyagi, says, okay, I learned. And then you said Mr. Miyagi... I, I didn't talk about Mr. Miyagi at all. I know, but that's just, I'm just, I need to picture this in my <laughs> okay, mind. Okay. Scolded him lovingly. Lovingly. Which is interesting. Uh-huh. So great language. with firmness, yes. he said, you missed it. Yes. So this is my interpretation of your story. Danielson, you missed this. You just looked. So was was Mr. Miyagi trying to get Danielson to jump in the river? Okay. I, your, anal- your karate kid analogy here is, is awesome. Is, is I know. Interesting. Okay. What he was saying, it's not about exactly what he did. He didn't have to do exactly what the monkey did. Remember, it's a Zen parable. Right. So this isn't, we don't always have to take it super literally. Sure. What he's saying is what in life we do is we study and study and study and learn data and facts and we read articles in the Atlantic and we read articles in People Magazine and we study and study, but we don't live does that make sense? I think it's, yes, it totally makes sense. So Daniel could have, if I'm going to use your anal- analogy. Which is awesome. He could have jumped in the water. He could have walked on the rocks. He could have run the water through his fingers. But instead, all he did was look at he it. He just looked at it. Right. Because that's what we do is we take, this has been, this is the hardest part to teach. The reason I clap is because it just gives... An understanding that is the hardest part to teach about self-awareness is so many people study psychology or self-help, but they don't practice it. They don't live it. They just talk about it and look at it. What it makes me think of is a yoga class, because I've been in hundreds of yoga classes, maybe a thousand, who knows? Okay. It's a lot about balance. It's a lot about True. listening. It's, yes. And one of the things that the teacher says quite often is take it off of the mat. Oh, yoga off the mat. Yeah. So basically take everything you're learning in these 75 minutes. Absolutely. And and once you leave the yoga studio, can you practice balance? Can you practice engaged listening? Can you practice some of these things that you learn in a yoga class in the same way, you know, most people who go to church, they go once a week, like, and everybody loves each other inside that church, right? And then as they're driving out of the parking lot, they're honking at each other and flipping each other. So that's what it makes me think of. I think that's a great analogy. I think that we have to, and also, like, I think even if your analogies aren't completely synced up with this exact teaching, they're completely, they're parallel, and that it's the same idea. Because what, what I think is challenging is when I hear people discuss things and talk about things, especially if they're if they are giving reasons to why or why not they're doing something, mm-hmm. but they're basing it all 
on what they read or look at yeah. instead of what they experience. And I think that this can go really deep into how we relate to our children, mm. okay? It could go a million different ways. Our children, we read about how we should educate our kids. We read about how to keep them safe. We read about them being involved in activities and and how they need to do this and this and this and this. And we live in the data of it, but we don't get to know our kids. Sure. And the kids are the river. And all that data is just watching from the outside. Mm -hmm. And when you watch from the outside and all you're looking at is data, you're missing life. Because data, now I know some people would maybe take me to task for this, but data isn't alive. It's data, right? Well, and if you think about it, reading a parenting book is data. Listening to this podcast is data. Completely. So are you taking whatever little glimpses that you learned about how to be the best parent you could be from this podcast into the kitchen at the dining room table? Are you practicing whatever lessons you learn from wherever? That's beautiful because what I hear people say is, oh, you know what I really believe in is love. I really believe in love. And then we'll like talk about I don't even I don't want to use these examples because um you know I really believe in that I want my kids to feel peace and I really believe in that you know I want my kids to but then the home isn't love and peace right. it's a, and again that's not identical to sometimes the teaching of the love monkey. sometimes they're go ahead I'm sorry no, go ahead. I'm Sometimes their version of love is, I want it to be peaceful and loving, but you better make sure that you get straight A's and you better join a sport every season. And, you know, all of a sudden it becomes these expectations of what it means to be a good kid or whatever. Absolutely. We get, ba we get back into the data, which is the studying mm. versus the living. Mm. And this is, you know, to take it a step further. So people will say, well, how do I jump in the river? You, you stay with the aliveness of the moment. You stay with who your child is and what they're doing and trust that process yeah. rather than what your next door neighbor tells you you should do. Right. You, you trust that everything that you've had in your life, your resiliency, your pain, your experience, your growth, that your child has that entwined in them too. Like they may not have... When I say entwined, that's the wrong word. They have that built into their system sure. too. And they may not have had enough experiences to reach the level of awareness you have. Of sure. course they don't. Sure. We're talking about kids versus us who have lived a certain life. But there is a trust in that we – okay, can I, can I just read a sure. few more things from this? Because it just kind of – first I have to read the sentence again that I love. We study the river without ever getting wet. In this way – we can ponder great philosophy without ever telling the truth. We can analyze our pain without ever feeling it. We study holy places without ever making where we live sacred. Mm. In this way, we can build a cathedral on the water's edge, spending all of our time keeping it clean. Or we can count our money and say our prayers without ever spending anything or feeling God's presence. In this way, we can play our music or make love skillfully without ever feeling the music or passion. So, I just, he has, um, you know, those are so many wonderful sure. analogies. Sure. But we live on the outskirts of life instead of in 
life. Right. We like to tell stories about what we're going to do or who we are instead of just living the story of who we are. Mm. Does that does that resonate with you? It does. Well, and you know, I'm thinking of John Keating from Dead Poet Society. Perfect. And, you know, he talks about how engineering and medicine and I don't know what the third one is, are all really important vocations, but art and beauty and love, this is what we live life for. Mm -hmm. And uh, sometimes we're too busy trying to get our law degree and become a lawyer and we're forgetting to live life. Exactly. That's what I, so I'm, I'm thinking obviously in terms of pop culture, but that's what I think of. So. No, I love the pop cultural references because I want people to get this from a million different ways. Mm-hmm. I don't, if you don't relate to the monkey parable, then I want you to relate. Sweetie, they may not get, relate to that, but they'll relate to Mr. Miyagi and Daniel's son. Correct. Or Mr. Keating or all, one of those examples that I just read. Like I want, what I want you to hear is that it doesn't live in the data and it doesn't live in all the books you've read. Mm-hmm. It lives in your ability to take what you are reading or what you feel inside and then it's not even you don't even have to read it. Just experience what you're experiencing. You know who I just thought of? What? I thought of Norm Norman and Paul from River Runs Through It. Okay. And Norman is the one you know, and this is unfair because Norman is a beautiful character from the movie River Runs Through It. Yeah. But he is the one who becomes an academic. Correct. And he goes to Chicago and then he, he teaches an English teacher. Mm-hmm. He becomes an English teacher. And Paul, who is this beautiful fisherman, and he doesn't, I think he cares less about planning his future mm-hmm. and he just lives his life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes to the point where it's unhealthy. So maybe mm-hmm. we can talk about pa- balance well, at some point. he was an addict. Right. Yeah. But I just think of those two, like they're two very different brothers. So the blend of the two? Right. Because those are the those are the binary, Extremes, right? Yeah. It's like you either can be Norman or you can be Paul. That's not true. Mm-hmm. You can live Norman's life with a lot of Paul right. inside of it. Right. And that's what I think humanity is, mm-hmm. is sometimes we say, well, I can't be Paul because he, you know, he had all these challenges and he, you know, he 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 wasn't responsible or whatever it is that we like um think is the altar of life, you know, that we like bow down to. Responsibility. Everything has to be about responsibility. Okay, but you can also add in the, you know, it's kind of like Todd, you always say something about um, athletes and you always say you love to watch athletes at play with heart. And you've said this for a long time, but I now, after watching sports with you, as long as I have, I understand what you mean. Mm. And the best example is Javi Baez, Mm. who plays for the Chicago Cubs, who we haven't watched in a year. Um, but they're coming back soon. Um, and that Javi Baez, when he plays for the Cubs, he plays like a, a a young boy who is willing to put his whole body into any kind of play. Yeah, Javi is, even though he's a Chicago Cub, my favorite team is Chicago Sox. Sorry to use the Cubs, but... No, that's all right. He is probably my favorite player because he mm. plays as if he's a seven-year-old kid. Exactly. And you you have, maybe you could think of some other players, so people who don't love the Cubs, because we have listeners from all over the place. Who are other players that you've been oh, like? Oh, I don't know. You always said Ken Griffey. Uh, well, yeah, but he was just purely talented. Um, no, I think, you know, if you don't know who Javi is, go to YouTube and put, you know, Javi Baez highlights. And he's just fun. He's talking to the guys. He's talking to his opponents. Chewing when he's his on gum. He's chewing his gum. He's got the big gold chains all over the place. Yeah. And he, you know, just approaches life 
as if it's brand new. Yes. You know? And he has such a young spirit and he's so good and he doesn't get it right all the time. No. Javi misses plays. Yes, he actually needs Whiffs. a better command of the strike zone is what Javi needs. He just he's he's all in. He's all in. He's like, This is a ball, I'm gonna hit it. I don't care if it's three feet outside. He's like, I'm a ball player. Yes, he is. And he's not like, What are my stats? Mm-hmm. You know, what are my and maybe behind the scenes he's negotiating contracts and sure, stuff. That's sure. part of the game. It's not that he has to only be one thing. Mm-hmm. It's that when when Todd talks about players with heart i now complete and i've through other players i've seen this too in other in another um like um what's his name our other guy our football player uh walter payton yeah that's who i just thought of yeah he plays with heart he did he's he's no longer with us i know i'm sorry but yeah he but yeah he was smiling and it's funny now that i know a little bit more about walter he actually had a dark sad depressed side to him that he never showed Mm. when he was at tv interviews he was always the fun loving guy he's always practical joking and he played the sport with like he wasn't worried about his stats he was as good of a blocker as he was a running back so um, yeah, Walter is another example of this youthful energy. I don't know. Maybe Javi has a dark side. I'm I'm willing to think. Everybody does. True. I, Walter's was a little bit more. Well, know. let's talk about Jordan and the last dance. Like yeah. Jordan plays with a tremendous amount of heart. And a lot of his was based in like kind of like. I'm going to show them. Yeah. I'm going to, you know. Co- com- competition, whether they're playing cards or Correct. playing basketball, he needed to win everything. And if he didn't win, it gave him motivation. Right. And even if he he would create motivation out of nothing. He'd make up a story. He'd make up a story in his head about, um, I forget, what the Supersonics uh, head coach walked past him at the at restaurant. restaurant. Um, God, what's his name? Sports fans are going to get mad at me. And... You know, Jordan's like, he just dissed me. He didn't say hello. He didn't say hello. So oh, that's how so we're going to play So he basically this. used that as his motivation to kill the Sonics, which he did. Um, real quick movie uh, clip on maybe, we're talking about Norm and Paul from River Runs yeah. Through It and how you might, or let's go back to the monkey. Some, I love the fact that the monkey jumped in the water yes. and started playing, but maybe the monkey played too long and he didn't take care of himself while he was playing in the water, okay? I'm just making that okay. up, okay? So this is an example. Mr. Keating. Mr. Dalton. It was a pretty lame stunt you pulled today. You're siding with Mr. Nolan? What about carpe diem and sucking all the marrow out of life? Sucking the marrow out of life doesn't mean choking on the bone. See, there's a time for daring and there's a time for caution. And a wise man understands which is called for. But I thought you'd like that. No. You being expelled from school is not daring to me. It's stupid because you'll miss some golden opportunities. Yeah, like what? Like, if nothing else, the opportunity to attend my classes. (laughs) All right, good enough. Um, So as I'm thinking about the monkey and the students, they need to blend. Well, Or maybe not, I don't know. How about this? This is the visual I got. That monkey who jumped in the water is a mama, and she has to get food for Mm -hmm. her babies. Okay. So if she jumps in to that water and plays all day, her babies won't be fed. But if on the way to get food, she jumps in the water and and enjoys life and then go gets food, that's the blend. So there's a lot of mamas listening to this podcast right now. And dads. Yes. And I am somebody who judges myself way too harshly. And I judge that I am somebody who is probably way too serious, way too often. Okay. 
And my guess is that there will probably be some other people on this podcast because think about it. Like we, we always hear about how um, these are the best times of our lives because our kids are young or younger or whatever. And then, but while we're doing this time, we're exhausted and we're tired and we're worrying about everything. And that, but we're going to look back and think about how this was the best time in our life, but we're missing it. So my invitation to myself and anybody else that might be connecting with this is, can you find the monkey who's actually enjoying themselves in the river? Like, can we have fun while we're at the grocery store for the second time in four days? Can we find the fun in this day-to-day experience that we're having parenting younger people? And here's the thing. If we can do that, this is where... You know, like Todd said, we look back and we say that was the best time. My hope, and actually, I would have to say my experience has been that every phase of parenting has been the best time. And it's because I have felt in no way perfect in every scenario. I've definitely grown a lot and had a lot of pain and challenges and mistakes, but I've been there. I've been present for a lot of emotion with my kids. I've been present for a lot of their experiences, my experiences, our marriage. And in the hardest times, We've been, we've gone through it. Mm-hmm. We've like, okay, we got to deal with this pain. We got to muddle through this. We got to grieve. We got to move on to the next phase. And you and I, I feel like have like gotten down to the the earth mm-hmm. of that. So I don't, I don't look back and say that was the best time. Now it's the best time. But if we were watching from afar and focused on the data of our children or how much money we were making, or whether or not we had achieved some kind of success, I would look back, and and I don't know this for sure, but I might regret it, because I, I wasn't there. Well, and I'll get vulnerable here for a second. Okay. So three three quick examples. When our kids were really young, when we had like two kids, or even three kids, and one was nursing, and the other was two running around, and then four-year-old, like I call those the dark days. Like I've said that on Zen Talks all the time. Well. And the reason I call them the dark days is because of the sleep deprivation, pretty much. I mean, more for you than for me. Obviously, you were the one waking up, nursing in the middle of the night and all that, but that was really, really hard. And then there was a sweet spot. At, you know, once they started getting into not the car seats that you have to buckle them in and they just became a little bit less dependent, but still dependent. Now our girls are 17, 15, and 12. And there's a part of me that grieves because they are young adults now and they don't need me as much. So there's a part of me that's like sad that they're not as dependent upon me. Mm -hmm. So, Well, what I was going to say is two things. Number one, you've expanded dark days way beyond what we thought the dark days were. Yeah. You, every time you tell the story, you're like, yeah, they were like seven, five and two. And it was the dark days. The dark days was when I had just had a baby. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was I would incapable. Say when, whenever a baby is like less than a year, right? Well, I don't no? think of that whole time as being dark. The, the What you and I used to use dark days for was when I first had a baby mm-hmm. and that first three months where I'm nursing, like you said, there's so much like yeah. uncertainty. And I think about it more with the first one. Yeah. Because when my children were four or three and a baby, that, those were not dark days to me. Yeah. They were dark maybe to you because you lost me. Mm-hmm. Because I was completely, there was a baby who needed me and my body. Right. And I could not, I needed to be here every two hours. I was at the mercy of my children. Right. And maybe to you, that was a dark time. Sure. Um, but, you know, the other thing that I was going to say about that was 
I think that's normal mm-hmm. to grieve. Like, again, paradoxical, you know, is that I don't look back and want to have an infant again. Right. But of course I grieve holding my little baby. So can you hold both of those as as being true typical and and heart centered? Yeah. Because you know, when people bring me an infant, they're like, look at this baby. And I'm like, oh, look at that baby. And I love it. And I give it a hug and I hold it. And then I'm fine giving it back. Yeah. I don't have, but I still sometimes look at, you know, I went through um, a bunch of pictures the other night because I made my mom a photo album so she could just kind of look through pictures and remember certain times. And and I was like, God, I can't remember having a baby so small. Mm-hmm. I can't remember having... I mean, of course I can. I have the memory, but I don't have the like, how did I do that? How did I do? And we did it. Yeah. But when I have three children in my lap, what what was I doing? Right. How I did remember. we do that? Well, and what's interesting is I have a, a friend who just became a father in the last year and he's older. He's older than me. Uh, and I'm 48 years mm-hmm. old. I'm like, oh my God, dude, I don't know how like this is going to be a challenge because even when my kid was, my first kid was born, I was 30 and that was hard. And it's weird because I feel like, you know, you have all the energy when you're in your twenties, but if I had a kid in my twenties, we didn't have the maturity. Oh my God. I Mm -hmm. would have, I think I would have screwed up a lot worse than I did. Not that I did anything terrible to him, but you know, it was, you know, you were more developed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. Like they're, there is no perfect time to have a kid. Like you're never ready to have a kid, but you know, if you start them when you're, when you're getting older, like the energy that is required, like, cause my friend who's older than me has a ton of wisdom and hopefully he can leverage mm-hmm. that wisdom to be the best dad he can. Uh, but he's also, you know, you just don't have the energy that you did when you were 24. You know, you know? The, the piece that I have found with people I've talked to who had children later, um, cause we had them at, I was 31. And you, you were, were yeah, 31, yeah. So it's not like we were super young, but we were not We were kind of in the middle. Sure. Um, that was when we had our first. I had my last child when I was 36 or 37. Mm. So um, what I've heard from people who had babies later, like, for example, I'll use somebody that people know, Alec Baldwin, okay? He had his first daughter, who's now like 23 years old, obviously. Ireland. 20, yeah, Ireland, with Kim Basinger 23, 23 years ago. He now has four children and another baby on the way mm-hmm. with his um, with his new wife. And he talks about the fact that part of the reason it's so much easier to be a father to them and with them is that he he's done so much of his life that he feels like you and I in our 30s had as much pressure to be successful in our careers right. as we did to be good parents where he feels like he has more space and time to just focus on parenting because he's, it doesn't mean he doesn't work anymore, but he's had a full career. Right. Like one of my favorite pictures is in the, um, in my office, my parent coaching like took off the year I was pregnant with Skylar. So that means I had two little girls and I was pregnant with Skylar and it just so happened that I was like one of two parent coaches in Chicago at the time. And it was just getting going. Like other people maybe called themselves parent coaches, but I had like a, a certification mm-hmm. and it was somewhat new. Yeah. And so there was an article written about it and there's like a picture of me with the girls. And I remember that moment being like, I am on, I am beginning 
my life as a mother of three, yeah. and I'm beginning a new career. Sure. And those are very conflictual. Yeah. And I remember, like, the reason I love the pictures, I remember thinking, oh my God, like, <laughs> how am I going to do, do this? this? And again, there was no perfect way. There was no. Every day, we, you and I still have to figure that out. Sure. We have to make choices and hard decisions and and kind of have a focus of what's most important to us. And we've had to kind of find our foundation and then build around that. Well, and that was a, it was a decision or an awareness that you had to deal with that I simply didn't have to because of the imbalance that we chose to do. Like, you, we, you know, we had kids and then you assumed the majority of responsibility and I took a back seat so I didn't have to do all that and I guess I'm just acknowledging the the challenges of being a mom versus a dad and that doesn't mean dads don't have all these tough challenges too but at least for me and in the groups of friends that I have who are dads like the moms took on more and they had to make this decision between career and motherhood well it's an interesting thing sacrificed more because I quit my job yeah like quit my career, had gone sure. to graduate school and said, I'm going to quit my career right. and do this intentionally. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't, I'm not angry about that. That's not, I'm not saying that with like, you know, annoyance, but you, that was never a consideration for you. No. Now this is a different time. Our oldest daughter is 17. The discussions about emotional labor and about having equal parenting is much more frequent and, you know. Sure. So yeah, we didn't even talk about it when our kid, no, first kid was born. No, I'm going to go back to work, and you be a mom. See you on the other side. Well, and that's how you and I have evolved to this place: is that we we walked through those difficult moments where, when we talk about those things, we're not using data from watching from afar. We were in the river. Yeah, <laughs> we were like in the river. How do you have this hard discussion? You know, it started with you know my first my first blog or my first article in my first book was, or my first chapter was, why am I asking you if I have, if I can go to target? Yeah. That was my first like awakening of like, I actually think it was because you got mad at me because I went to target. It was the combination of the two. I realized that I was asking you permission to go to target. Would you watch her so I can go to target? Mm -hmm. Is it okay if I go to target? And when you went to target, you just left. Yeah. See ya. Be back in about 45. So I'm like, what's this? Like, what is it that you're free and I'm not? What is it that you get to make your own decisions just like you did before, but I have to ask you permission? Now, you would say to me, you don't have to ask permission, but what if I would have just left the baby sitting there? Mm -hmm. You would have been like, where'd you go? Mm -hmm. What what do I do? Where's her food? And that just wouldn't have been... I wouldn't have done that, first of all. But my point is, is that sometimes to learn things, we get... If we stay on the outsides of what of studying emotional labor and talking about with our girlfriends what emotional labor is and discussing you know the data around it and the new article and the new documentary but we're not talking to our partners about it right. we're not in the river right we're just watching it from afar getting our like like debating whether or not it's fair sure. versus figuring out how we want to live our lives and so that was a long time ago like you and I as parents now it's like sure Took us a long time to get to where we are yeah. now, and in ten years, I'm sure we will have evolved from where we are now to where we will be in ten years. We've had a lot of river, a lot of river, yeah. And you know, once again, I think it's just the um, it's the balance and the ops. You know, because you know, me for somebody who lives inside my brain, sometimes I sit on this. You know, I I, don't, I think of the sidelines. Yeah, like you know, what's Brene Brown say? 
Get in the arena? Get in the arena. It's kind of like a different way of saying the same thing. People love to look at people in the arena and criticize them. I mean, what is social networking? Someone puts a picture up there. Yeah, it's great, but... Mm. Or, oh, horrible outfit. Or why'd you get that haircut? Or why did you use that word? Or why did... And these are people basically trolling a person because they're not willing to put themselves out there. So the bottom line is, is if you are going to put yourself out there in some way, if you're going to jump in the river... Know that there's going to be people watching you who are afraid to jump in the river. And they're going to start shooting arrows at you. Absolutely. And you're going to have to decide. You're. It, it's not only about, I'm not going to go back to the sidelines because the river feels good. This is life. Well, another one is the, um, maybe I'll pull it up. I was going to bring up the grandma roller coaster story. I love, you know, it's so funny because when you were just talking about how you didn't have to stop working, I thought about Parenthood because one of Todd and my favorite scenes in Parenthood, we have so many favorite scenes, and we did a whole pop culturing about it, by the way, is when he said the whole thing about responsibility. What did Mm -hmm. he say? Uh, That's the difference between men and women. Women have choices, men have responsibility. And so he's pointing out the fact that he has to work because yeah. he has to bring home money. Again, this movie is way old. Yeah. And she fig- finds out she's pregnant, and then she, of course, says, okay, I choose that you have the baby. Yeah. And then what does he say? Let's get out of La La in here for a second <laughs> and come back to reality because it ain't going to happen. So, they're, uh, so Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen are having an argument because Steve Martin had a good day because his kid caught the winning catch uh, for the baseball game. And he's had a rough time on the team. And um, they start talking about this metaphor of the merry-go-round and the roller coaster. So this is Grandma. A roller coaster. Oh. Up, down, up, down. Oh, what a ride. What a great story. I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so, so excited and, and so thrilled all together. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around, nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. I, I like the roller coaster. I happen to like the roller coaster. I happen to like the roller coaster. <laughs> That's what Mary Steenburgen says next. So that is an example of the merry-go-round is sitting on the sidelines. Right. And the roller coaster is you just jump in that river. And again, it means, this is what I love about philosophy and Zen parables, is it's not literal all mm-hmm. the time. You have to figure out what this means for your life and your situation. It may be about your parenting. It may be about career. It may be about going to a protest. Mm-hmm. It may be, I, I definitely feel it in that arena. Like we could sit there and read, you know, you and I were just talking about this on our walk home the other day of you were talking about proximity and really getting invested and versus just action. action oriented versus just reading things. And we were debating back and forth. I was debating whether or not reading leads to action and you were saying action leads to reading, mm-hmm. you know, and neither's right or wrong. It's just, are you participating in what's happening now? Mm-hmm. Are you participating in what's going on in the world? Are you speaking up? You know, Todd, you know, we can't stay away from these things. Are you wearing a mask? Mm-hmm. Would you put your mask on everybody? Would you, would you do that for your community? Will you do that for yourself and for anyone you come into contact with? And if you're, not, if you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, 
then do it for the person you run into. Yeah. Do it for the person who maybe you looks healthy and young, but is dealing with diabetes or dealing with a transplant that you don't know about and they're more high risk. Do it for the elderly. Do it for the community. Like I don't understand. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm going on a public tangent. service announcement, everybody. I don't and Kathy and I are completely on board with this. Understand the desire to fight this issue. This is something simple we can do. If you love the Cubs, put the Cubs on your mask. If you love a word, put it on your mask. If you love the color white, wear a white mask. You know, like just do something that makes you feel good. And then that demonstrates to other people that you care. Fighting the battle of it goes against my liberty or my rights or believing in a conspiracy that it's making you sicker is hurting other people. And it's such a simple way to support our our country, our state, our community, the people you love. I was just with my mom today. She lives in a nursing care facility, and I worry about that. Mm-hmm. And it's not the only reason I do it, sure. but she 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 depends on care. And if you get sick and spread it to someone who gets sick, who spreads it to her nurse, yep. and then she do you want do you understand how connected we are? And it won't be forever. I mean, we may always wear masks on and off from now on. You know, people, I used to wonder why people in China, uh, you know, wore masks, mm-hmm. like at the airport. Well, and a lot of people you'd see at the airport, yeah. um, you know, for the last 10 years, I'm, I was like, well, why that's weird. Why are doing that? And now we know. And yeah. we may choose to do that going forward after a vaccine comes out. But for many of us, we won't have to. Sure. This is a, this is a moment in time. And we all stayed home for three months, and now people are thinking that somehow everything's good again. Yeah. Sorry, I think jumping in the river is also being a part of the solution for the entire community. And sitting on the sidelines is saying, I don't care. If I get sick, it's no big deal to me. Right. It's not about you. We all drink from the river. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, we're all drinking from the same river. End of the public service announcement. Yeah, we have a lot of um, a lot of metaphors and pop culturing references in today's show. It all and it all kind of works. And before you finish, though, Todd, are you going to play something else? It looks like you have something um, ready to go. I'm just looking at Brene. There's so many good Brene. I just you, uh, YouTube searched Brene Brown Arena, and there's so many different things. So, anyways, Brene is like. One of my favorite teachers, but um, um, it's all three minutes long, so I don't want to play the whole thing. You sure? She actually did a great interview. I'll send it to you, Todd, uh, this week with Judd Apatow. Oh, really? Talking about humor and vulnerability and just how Judd Apatow does his producing and his writing and his movies and how he's kind of a genius at finding that fine line between humor and vulnerability. Yeah. And one of the ones that one of the movies that's one of our favorites that they talked about a lot was The 40-Year-Old Virgin. And he was saying how, and I hope if you haven't seen that, it's 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 not for kids, but if you're an adult, The 40-Year-Old Virgin is such a good movie. And he said the core of that movie is shame. Mm. That really what Steve Carell's character is dealing with is shame. Sure. And how that shows up in his behavior and the choices he's made in life and his seclusion. Yeah. And that his friends initially don't do much to help him with that shame. Yeah. They just make him feel more ashamed. Right. Yet every character has their own shame. Yeah. Think about every single one of them has. Oh, they're all huts. they're all wounded. I was going to say all they're wounded. all broken, but they're all wounded. They're all wounded. So anyway, I just thought that was interesting. Um, 
as you look for things, I'm going to read the rest of this passage. Sure, go ahead. Okay. So this is the rest of The Monkey in the River from Mark Nepo's book, and I've kind of finished, I already gave you all of the examples, and now it says, the apprentice was brought to tears because the monkey slapping and yapping its way in the river had landed in a moment of joy, and the apprentice knew that all his reverence and devotion and meditation hadn't brought him the joy mm. of the monkey. The river, of course, is the ongoing moment of our living. It is the current that calls us to inhabit our lives, and no matter how close we come, no matter how much we get from staying close with a sensitive heart, nothing will open us up to joy but entering that river. I w- <clears throat> And then he he tells his own story about how he, I'll just paraphrase it instead of reading it from the book, he and his friend were on a screened-in porch, and it was really beautiful out because it was raining, and it was just thundering, and it was just gorgeous. Sure. And then they realized they were sitting in a screened-in porch, mm-hmm. and they took off their shoes and mm-hmm. ran outside into the rain, which which one of our daughters does all the time. When it starts to rain, she's like, I'm going outside. And she runs across the street to the park and runs back and forth in the grass and then comes back and takes a warm shower. Sure. It makes her feel so happy. Yeah. It's pretty much the most beautiful thing you ever want to see. Yes. Because she's like, raining? Okay, I'm going. Yeah, let me go. Let me go. Well, and it's the same way how kids walk through puddles. For sure. Like the fact that us grownups Avoid. step around puddles <laughs> because we don't want to get our shoes wet. It's funny, like this morning, my 10 minute meditation. I usually sit and I'm like, you know what? I want to walk during my meditation. And I just bought these uh, slides that my family's making fun of me for because it reminds me of, uh, reminds them of my dad's slides. They look like your dad's slides. You know, like they're flip-flops or whatever they're slides. They're flip-flops and they have holes on the top so they're like aerated. But I was wearing my slides and it rained really hard last night. And uh, in this little area across the street from our house, there's a bunch of trees and there's this kind of little miniature valley there which has you know, huge puddles of water. Yeah. And I, I'm like, well, I'm not wearing my nice gym shoes. I'm wearing my slides. So ah. I walk through it just very slowly. Whenever I do a walking meditation, I have to do it at half speed. Otherwise, it just feels like I'm walking somewhere. And it made me feel alive. Just just instead of sitting on my chair, my front porch or in my living room, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get my feet wet on the earth. I you love know, it. One small way. One of my favorite uh, stories of, of my childhood, because I remember it so vividly, is that something happened to me between fourth and fifth grade where I went from not caring to caring too much. And I, I don't know if it was a one experience or many or if it was puberty. It could be a mixture of all sure. of the above. But when I was in fourth grade, on it was picture day. On fourth grade, I remember it vividly. And I got to school early because I wanted one of the swings. And I was swinging so high. Like, I mean, one of those things where you feel like you could flip over. And I loved to swing. And I remember I got into the school fourth grade and the woman taking the picture like gave me one of those disposable combs yeah and she's like you have got to comb through your hair Mm. i had like a dorothy hamill thing going on i Mm. think and so i she combed my hair and then i remember the next year for the fifth grade picture i had a barrette on one side of my hair my other side of hair was curled back i had hairspray on and i got i asked for a ride to school Mm. so my hair wouldn't get blown Mm -hmm. and i obviously did not get on a swing yeah so my point is, is is that's okay that that happened? I'm not criticizing myself as a fifth grader. I was learning how to get along and belong sure. and learning my own sense of what it meant to be a girl, I yeah. guess. And I had to go through that process. It's not about the shame. It's about fourth grade was so great. Yeah. <laughs> like sometimes when I think about being on that swing, and I, I, I've written about that time that in between time, I'm like, what happened? What switch changed in me where I cared so much? And so whenever I'm making a decision in life, 
I think about that. And I'm like, be the fourth grade girl yeah. or pull from her, you know, like pull from, don't care because so Because you're more similar now, or not you, but most of us are more similar now to the fifth grade Correct. version of ourselves. Right. When we started conforming, yes. we started worrying about what people thought of yes. us. Go back to, you know, it's funny, like, you know, little two-year-old kids running around naked. They oh, don't yeah. care. They don't care. What do they care? And they're so dirty and they've, they've got food all over their face. Yeah. And they got snot running out mm -hmm. of their nose. And they're not like, what do these other kids think? Mm -hmm. And that's what I love is the, four, the fourth, my fourth grade self not only was, and I was wearing this pink shirt that already had a stain on the bottom. Mm -hmm. It was like, I remember it tied at the top and tied at the bottom and it already had a stain and I wanted to wear it anyway. I was being... I guess what some people would call unsafe on the swing. Yeah. And I also was letting my hair go wherever it wanted and I was dirty and I didn't care. And so it was just, that's to me, it is a memory of being alive. Sure. Right. Whereas then I got too controlled yeah. by my own brain, by society, by expectation, doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I'm less concerned with, I've already, I feel like my thirties and early forties was an investigation of why. Yeah. And now it's okay. It, it's not so much about that story. It's about who who are you going to pull from? Yeah. And I would much rather swing. So whatever that means for you. Love it. Um, any closing thoughts other than what you just gave to us? Well, um, just that I guess in this moment, I think our, um, if people don't know this already, because even though Todd and I are kind of, you know, getting back to talk about parenting and self-awareness, we're still very aware um, and hyper-conscious about what's going on in the world and concerned. Mm. And that in this moment, um, there's a lot of grief and fear and uncertainty and that that just accepting that instead of fighting against that and realizing that even in the midst of the grief and the fear and the uncertainty and the anger, I have a lot of anger sure. um, at... Uh, President at, Trump at our government, and because it doesn't have to be this way no. when it comes to COVID. Um, if we would have had a a more streamlined approach, I'm not saying it would be gone, but we wouldn't be struggling. You know, my aunt is in Florida and has usually is in Illinois by like May, mm -hmm. and hasn't been able to leave. And sure. it's not just about her. I'm just I'm talking about anybody sure. who who's in Florida or has concerned you know family or Arizona or, and it's not the people's fault. It's not like, you know, we're not mad at people in the States. It's if we would have had a streamlined approach. Okay, I'm, I'm giving you off on a tangent. My point is, is that we are all in this together. And if we can remember to treat each other with that kind of compassion and to inspire what we know is right. Um, for example, continuing to speak out when it comes to issues about race, um, continuing to read and educate ourselves, continuing to educate ourselves when it comes to COVID, um, making good choices about wearing masks, um, continuing to take care of ourselves and rest if we need to rest, um, knowing that grief is normal, that to go from crying to then having a joy-filled experience is okay. I think these times call for those moments. Um and just that we care about you and um, we're thinking about you and nobody is alone. Uh, we're all going through this together, which is the thing I think about when I feel really afraid. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I talk about it with Todd or my therapist. I'm not trying to, I'm not going through it alone, but then I get a more expansive version of, wow, we're all going through this. Yeah. Like everybody. And it makes me feel like that's strength rather than. Like, if we're all going through this, then the possibility of us getting through it is big. Right. We're in this together. Yes.
We're all in this together. Why don't you play that? I don't know what the name of the song is. And I need to talk about our partners. But you can play it for the end. Um, it's from High School Musical, sweetie. I know. What's the name of the song? You just sang it. We're all in this together? Yes. All right. Um, and then you can talk about... So we'll end on, even though it's heaviness, lots of heaviness in the air, we'll end on something as light as High School Musical. It's like going for a swing. That's right. Um, so if you're listening to the end of the show, first of all, thank you for listening all the way to the end. Um, we have two partners I want to talk about. The one is David Serrano. He is mine and Kathy's personal financial manager. He's smart. He's ethical. He's trustworthy. He's a nice guy, very nice guy. He's so, smart. So if you're interested, he works for Edward Jones. If you're interested, go to eight, uh, call him at 815-370-3780 and say, hey, I'm friends with Todd and Kathy and tell me more about what you do. And then also the bald-headed beauty, Jeremy Kraft. A lot of people are doing a lot of remodeling right now because they're not spending a lot of money on vacation, so they're putting money in their house. Like home offices. Home offices, uh, kitchen remodels, basement remodels. So call Jeremy if you live in the Chicagoland area. That's 630-956-1800. And tell him uh, Todd and Kathy sent you and tell him Todd and Kathy love you. Yes. Something like that. Um, and then I also do uh, coach guys. So if there's any guys out there that want to um, have a free session with me, go to toddadamscoaching.com. You know what people could really do to be alive? Dance. Go on, I think it's on YouTube, and figure out the routine to this song from High School Musical. No problem. And go it along and do it with the song. I'll have it done in an hour. Do you love High School Musical? No. I do. You know which one my favorite is? No. High School Musical 3. Of course it is. I mean, why wouldn't it be? I just love these movies. Cheesy as as anything. What do you think? Um, it's fine. All right, guys. Have a good week. It's fine. Todd doesn't like musicals. Some of them I do. Hamilton, July 3rd. Hamilton is this week, everybody. Disney Channel. Enjoy. We'll talk about it next week. Adios. Together.